see you all here this morning. Let me make sure my mic is turned on. Yeah, there we go. Are we good? You hear me? All right. Good to see. Oh, there we go. There we go. All right. Good to see everybody here this morning. If you're visiting with us, we want to welcome you. You are certainly our honored guest. We'd like to invite you back any opportunity that you have uh, to be with us. This is a very loving, warm congregation, and we want you uh, to be a part of us here. You know, it never fails this, around this time of year. November 1st rolls around. You walk into a Lowe's. You walk into a Walmart. You walk into a Hobby Lobby. You walk into Home Depot. What do you see? Christmas stuff. <laughs> yeah. We go from Halloween to Christmas automatically. And, and it never fails. It's, it's always like that. And that's, to me, that's so tragic. Because this, this is debatable, uh, you know, this, I'm not, not, not going to be dogmatic about this, but Thanksgiving to me is one of the best holidays that there is. But it's like sometimes in our culture, we go directly from Halloween to Christmas and we completely skip Thanksgiving. We completely skip this time of year with all of the uh, wonderful things that it brings. Uh, sometimes we're prone to completely missing Thanksgiving. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about thanksgiving. The psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, because you are the Holy One. Uh, uh, the Bible also says, O give thanks to the Lord, uh, for He is good. For His steadfast love, it endures forever. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, Give thanks in all things. Give thanks in all circumstances. The Bible has a lot to say about thanksgiving and we give thanks. We give um, thanksgiving to God because we serve a God who is worthy. We give our praise. We give our adoration. We give our worship to this God because He and He alone is glorious. And everything that he has done, everything witnessed through Jesus Christ, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that he showers upon his children daily, hourly, minute by minute, is a testimony to the fact that he is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our worship. And so... We give thanks. We give thanks to God. However, we know as Christians, sometimes we get caught up in this life and we get really busy with things. Our focus uh, gets reoriented on other things. And sometimes we become like the world around us that goes from Halloween to Christmas and completely misses Thanksgiving. Sometimes we don't give God the praise that He deserves because He is worthy. Sometimes we don't adore Him like He deserves. Sometimes we don't give Him our full service and our full worship in our lives uh, and look to Him as our King of kings and Lord of lords. Uh, this morning, what I want to do, I want to dive into a story in Luke chapter 17 that talks about nine people who completely missed it. They completely missed Thanksgiving. And I want to talk about the very real present danger of 
missing thanksgiving in our spiritual lives and what we can do as Christians to never miss thanksgiving and always live in a continual state of praise and worship and adoration. Check out your Bible with me and turn to Luke chapter 17. We're going to look at the story of the ten lepers. Luke chapter 17 verses 11 through 19. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version this morning. Verse 11 and 12. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he, Jesus, entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. The first thing that sticks out to me in this text is how Luke mentions on the way to Jerusalem. If you read in Luke's gospel, you see this, uh, this pattern of Jesus constantly moving toward Jerusalem. Uh, and the, the, the significance of that, the point of that, is that Jesus, uh, as, as, as his ministry continues, as it goes on, he's moving toward his mission. He's moving toward his ultimate goal of dying on the cross in Jerusalem to save us from our sins. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on the way to the cross to bear the weight of sin, to bear the weight of our guilt. And on his way, on his way to the cross, he passes, uh, as the text says, between Jewish and Samaritan territory. Now, uh, we've, we've probably heard before in previous Bible study of the, the Samaritans. Uh, they were uh, half-breeds half known, uh, known to the Jews as uh, they were those who intermingled with the uh, Assyrians after the uh, Assyrian captivity. Uh, and so they're half-Assyrian, half-Jewish. And there's a lot of um, bad blood uh, that exists between Jews and Samaritans. The two groups don't like each other very well. And as, he tra as he's traveling, as Jesus is going along, he's approached by ten lepers who are a mixture of both Jews and Samaritans. Now also, we've probably heard about leprosy in the ancient world. Leprosy was a horrible, horrible disease. It, it was basically a death sentence. Uh, if you were a leper... Uh, and you were ostracized by the community. Um, if you were uh, to, if if you were outside of the camp, um, then you it was pretty much you were pretty much a walking corpse. Um, oftentimes, those with leprosy, their skin would begin to deteriorate. Their flesh would fall off. Their bones they would stink. They wouldn't look like a normal person. Leprosy was a horrible, horrible, horrible horrible condition to be in. And all of that is course, of course, when we look at leprosy in a spiritual way, in a spiritual context, the Bible uses leprosy as a living illustration to depict what sin looks like in the hearts of those who have been entangled by it. Those who have those who have sinned and those who are under God's condemnation, though they look healthy on the outside, though they look okay, though they don't look like necessarily is anything is wrong, on the inside, they look like a leper. Now, these ten lepers, they approach Jesus, but they keep their distance. And notice what they do in verse 13. And the lepers 
they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now notice with me, this is, this is very interesting, and this follows the, uh, the, the logic of the passage, I think. All ten lepers here, they recognize Jesus as Master. If you look in the original language, this word that's rendered Master, it's unique to Luke. You only see this word in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke, it's used several times. One of, one of the instances is in Luke chapter 8, verse 24, when Jesus and the disciples are in the boat on the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes over and the, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Master, Master, we are perishing. We are going to die if you don't intervene for us. And by their recognition of Jesus as their master, they're recognizing Jesus as somebody that has the capability to intervene in their life. Master, master, the only one that can help me in this desperate situation, help me, have mercy upon me. And that's the response of the ten lepers. They recognize Jesus as master. In the same way, as the one, as the only one who has the power to intervene in their life, to heal them, to do something for them. And they ask this, they say, have mercy, have mercy on us. They're not specific about it. They don't say, uh, heal us of this disease, get rid of this pain and this agony uh, and uh, in this humiliation that we have laid upon us. No, they just simply say, have mercy. Have mercy. They're essentially saying, Jesus, look at us. Look at us in our deplorable condition and see us with pity because you are the master. You are the only one who has the power to take away our pain in our our, our current state, and we know that you can help us. So, and this is Jesus' response in verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, it's interesting here again, I think, that all ten of these lepers, not just a couple of them, not just a few of them, but all ten of these lepers... Uh, embrace, uh, respond to Jesus with faith. They trust that Jesus has the power to intervene in, in their life. And because of that, Jesus heals them. Jesus, uh, according to the law of Moses, he, tell, he tells them to follow the law of Moses. Go show, go, your, go show yourself to the priest, which is basically the health inspector. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they're walking, as they're going on their way, they're healed. They're cleansed. Because they trusted in Jesus. They trusted that He had the power to intervene in their life and, and to help them. And of course, as Bible students, we know that this, isn't, this is not unusual at all in the Gospels. Uh, as we see Jesus and Him healing people, uh, when those who are ill, when those who are sick, when they respond to Jesus in faith, when they, when they look at Jesus and cry out, Master, 
you and you alone are the only one that can help me. I trust in you. Jesus responds with healing, does he not? We can look at example after example after example. And we know that all of these things, uh, the, these outward signs of, of healing, uh, they're, they're, they're all spiritual realities that, that are intended to teach us spiritual truths. We uh, are like sick people, uh, those who have sinned, those who have transgressed in the eyes of God spiritually. And when we, like the lepers and like faith, cast our dependence, cast our trust on Jesus, He intervenes in our life and He gives us healing and He gives us life. However, and what I want to point out, the main thing that I, the main idea that, that I want to get across this morning in this story. However, in this story, in this particular story, we see something a little different. We see a little bit different pattern here. Even though all the lepers respond to Jesus with this kind of faith, nine of them, they miss something. They miss something. They miss something that's very, very, very important. Look with me in the text in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. This is the response of the Samaritan, as the text says. It says, he turned back. All of the ten lepers, they, they're on their way. They're on their way to the priests, to the health inspectors. And as, as they are walking, they are cleansed. And uh, there's, there's probably much joy as they're cleansed. They're probably celebrating and saying, look, we're finally free finally free from this horrible slavery of leprosy that we've been enduring. But one of them, one of them, this is how he responds. He turns back and goes back to Jesus. He hits a pause button on the celebration and turns back to Jesus. Also, notice what he did. He praised God with a loud voice. He, didn't, he wasn't quiet about it. He, wasn't, he, he didn't somberly express his gratitude in the eyes of God. He cried out with a loud voice. He's, he's, he's laying his heart wide open and saying, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Christ. And look at also what he does. He fell on his face as he turns back and as he's crying out and giving praises to God, he falls on his face at Jesus' feet, which is a sign of worship. He's essentially worshiping Jesus. Now, I don't think, I don't think he had all the theology figured out, uh, but I think, he, I think he knew enough uh, to recognize Jesus as someone special, as someone... Uh, divine. And then it says, in the last part, it says, giving him thanks. He's giving Jesus thanks. Now, what's going on here, and how this is significant to us, is that the Samaritan, he has something that the others didn't. 
The Samaritan, he has this transformed vision of God. The Samaritan sees God differently than he did before. The Samaritan, now he looks at Jesus and he sees someone infinitely valuable. He sees someone magnificent. He sees someone as worthy of everything that he could possibly give. He sees Jesus differently. He has a different vision of Jesus. And the response, the outflow of that vision of Jesus was thanksgiving. However, there was only one. Where are the other nine? The other nine didn't possess that same kind of attitude. Where are they? Notice with me in the text in verse 17. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Only one. Only one. Only one comes back to Jesus and gives thanks and has this transformed vision of God. What's the significance here? Why didn't the nine follow the same pattern and express the same kind of thanksgiving that the Samaritan did? The nine, they completely missed it. They completely missed it. Jesus, God, in human flesh, His glory, His value, His worth is shining brightly right in front of their face for them to see as evidenced by how He healed them. But they don't see Jesus any different than they did before. They don't have a transformed vision, a transformed sight of this Christ as the Samaritan had. And it resulted in no thanksgiving. And it was really, it was really because all they cared about, and this is, this is seen by their attitude, all they really cared about, what, what, all, all they really cared about was what Jesus could do for them. That's what we see in this passage. That's how their hearts are exposed. And we see that by this uh, act of not giving thanksgiving. That's what they cared about. All they wanted was freedom from outward pain. All they wanted was what Jesus could give them. They didn't have this kind of transformed sight of who Jesus was. And then notice lastly what Jesus says. And Jesus said to the Samaritan, the one that comes back, he says, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The last part there that's rendered in ESV, your faith has made you well. You could also translate that to say, your faith has saved you. Sozo in, in the Greek. And this verb, it's a, it's a different verb in which Luke used before in the passage. It's a verb that's only directed toward the Samaritan. A verb that connotes salvation. The one who gives thanks. Salvation in this text, I believe this is what Luke is getting at. 
in this story. Salvation is only given to the one who sees God differently than he did before and expresses that in continual thanksgiving, who turns back, who puts a pause button on the celebration, who turns to this Jesus, who turns to this Lord, who falls on his face and cries out with all that he has, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord. Salvation is given to that one. Now, what does this have to do with us in our life? Thanksgiving, we think about giving thanks, uh, giving giving gratitude to God. Thanksgiving is the response of an enlightened vision of God. Thanksgiving is a sign that a change has taken place within the heart. Thanksgiving is, is, is a signpost that points to the fact that there has been a, an internal transformation of one's heart. This is what Paul alludes to in Ephesians chapter 5 when he talks about spirit-filled living. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Paul says, And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are Spirit-filled people, when we see God differently than we did before as infinitely valuable and worthy beyond any other, the outflow of that, the outcome of that way of life is thanksgiving. But... When we miss thanksgiving, we show that our vision of God, our sight of God, there's something off. There's something wrong here. Their vision of God hasn't really changed. We look at our story this morning. The difference between, uh, the, difference between the nine, the nine lepers that were healed and the Samaritan, it, it has to do with how they see God, how they see Jesus. Their vision of God after they're healed. The nine, as evidenced by their attitude, they don't have any greater affections for this Jesus. They don't have any greater love or uh, adoration. They don't see Him differently than they did before. But the one, but the one that came back, the Samaritan, He now has this enlightened vision of who God is. He looks at this Jesus and he sees this Jesus as precious. This Jesus is infinitely valuable, worthy. Worthy is this Jesus. That was the attitude of the Samaritan. But that wasn't the attitude of the nine that we see. All they really cared about was what God could do for them. Just to give an illustration, just imagine if um, a man proposed to his fiancée, uh, spent a lot of money on the ring and, uh, and, and coordinated the time and, uh, of when he was going to ask her and he finally gets on his knee uh, and he gives this ring as a sign of his covenant love 
uh, to, uh, to this woman. And just, and just imagine, what if, what if the woman took the ring and said, I love this ring. Oh, this ring is just so great. And day after day and week after week, she, all she would just talk about is the ring. This ring, look at, look at, look at this ring. I love this ring. This ring is, is it just, it, it, it makes me who I am. Like, I am just, I am such a better person because of what I have been given. But she shows no affection, no love uh, toward the one that gave her the ring. How is the one that gave her the ring going to feel? And, you know, uh, it's very possible it's very possible, I think, one of the things that we can learn from the story, it's, it's very possible to be more interested in God's stuff than we are with God. It's very possible for us as Christians to be more interested in God's stuff than God himself. You know, we could easily become more in love with material things more than God himself. The blessings, the rich blessings that he gives us, the food, clothing, shelter, uh, maybe the, uh, the, the financial success that we have in our careers, but ble- blessings from God could eas- easily be placed above our affections for him. You know, not only that, uh, if, if, if we're more in love with Bible knowledge and growing in our, our, our knowledge of, of the Bible and Scripture, then we're concerned about actually developing a relationship with this God, which is very possible. We miss it. We miss the point. If we're more in love with all of the blessings that are associated with being a part of a church community, the relationships, the friendships, uh, everything that comes with being a child of God, if those things are where our heart is, if those those things are where our affections lie more than God Himself, we're like those nine lepers in the story that we read about. The fact is, is that God wants you to love Him. God wants you to love Him. Not just what He can do for you. He wants you to have this transformed vision of Him. He wants you to see Him in a different way than you did before, resulting in continual and consistent Thanksgiving, praise, adoration, and worship. And the God that we worship and serve, He doesn't leave you alone to uh, help you, to, or for, for you to figure it out all on your own, to figure out how to love Him. God helps you to love Him more than anything else. God gives you a very clear vision of who He is through Jesus. Notice with me in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. We see God 
we see a clear picture of who God is when we, like the Samaritan, turn back. Look at this Jesus. Recognize who He is. What He has done. How He has set us free from bondage, from sin, and continually works in our life so that we may become like Him as we keep our eyes on this Jesus, as we see this Jesus, and we don't look to the right or to the left, but we keep our gaze fixated upon Him, we see God. And we're, giving, we're given what we need to give thanks. The outcome of that is thanksgiving. So, the message this morning, what I think we learned from this story what we can see very clearly is this. Keep your eyes on the glory of Jesus. If you never want to miss Thanksgiving, like our culture does, like the nine lepers did, completely missed it, completely missed Thanksgiving. If you don't want to miss Thanksgiving, keep your eyes on the glory of Jesus. His value, His worth. His infinite worthiness as seen through the cross. And you will never miss a thanksgiving. See this Jesus. See this Jesus differently than you did before. And you'll live an Ephesians chapter 5 kind of life. A spirit-filled life that gives thanks continually. And you won't miss it like the one in our story. This morning, if you have any need, uh, if, if there's any need at all, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.